0: Working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana.
1: And financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report. For WFHB, I'm Glenn Leitner.
3: And I'm Linda Leitner. The City of Bloomington Utilities is receiving grant money to install sewer lines in the Broadview neighborhood. The money comes in the form of a Federal Community Development Block Grant awarded through the City's Housing and Neighborhood Development Department or HAND. Utilities Engineer Phil Peden brought the news to the Utilities Service Board this week. Peden told the board the Broadview neighborhood has long been on CBU's radar because of its aging septic systems.
4: That's right. It's for the Ralston sewer project in the Broadview neighborhood where we, we were able to provide sanitary sewer, gravity sewer, to 34 new customers that are currently on septic system. Uh, that's an older neighborhood with a lot of failing septic systems, decreasing the water quality for stormwater in the area.
3: Several board members voiced concern about whether residents of the low income neighborhood would be able to afford connecting to the new sewer lines. Board member Jean Kapler discussed the issue with Peden and utilities director Vic Kelson. Keaton said CBU is already receiving calls from interested residents.
5: And then my question uh, is, so the um, residents uh, that are going to be moved from septic to hooking into the sewer, uh, they're going to have to pay for their own plumbing to do that. And you said this is is not an affluent neighborhood. Do we know if homeowners are uh, aware of this and are able to afford to hook in?
4: We've reached out to the homeowners and attended the, the neighborhood association meeting, and so we've we've been receiving quite a few calls. Uh, Nancy Axum in our department for new services. She's been receiving quite a few calls about interest in in hooking on. So. And the, and the other aspect of that is that as, as Phil commented, the the when your septic fails, the health department either will allow you to site another septic tank or. If you're within 300 feet of a sanitary sewer, you'll be required to connect to it. Part of the problem in this particular neighborhood is locating places for it to put a new septic tank is extremely difficult. They're small parcels uh, to begin with. So if you've already had one fail, you may not have any space to put a new one in. So uh, so without an available sewer, this is that that's going to be a problem. And as they fail, they really need another alternative
3: Keaton said other neighborhoods interested in sewer infrastructure cannot apply directly for CDBG grants. They would need CBU to apply for them. In response, board members Julie Roberts and Jason Bannock suggested Kelson's staff look for other grants to help neighborhoods make the move from septic tanks to the city's sewer system later in the meeting kelson addressed the city's 2019 water quality report he emphasized bloomington does not have a lead or copper problem with its drinking water
4: we've had some questions about the reported numbers uh, for alkalinity and calcium uh, ion in the water Uh, both of those concentrations have been low on, on a number of occasions The reason for that is that Lake Monroe generally doesn't have a lot of hardness or a lot of alkalinity in it to begin with. And the treatment process, the coagulation process that we use to treat the water, actually removes some of those uh, chemical species from from the water. What those do is uh, when we maintain the pH at 9.2 when we deliver the water, what that does is it provides compounds that can... Uh, encourage the formation of scale inside of water pipes, and that scale prevents the dissolution of metals like lead and copper into drinking water. We don't have any lead pipe in our distribution system, and there's no lead in the water leaving the plant, uh, but we have a lead and copper program where we do sampling in, at customers' residences.
3: Kelson said lead has not been detected in the drinking water from CBU's water treatment plant or its distribution system. He said the water quality report indicates a lower than desirable concentration of calcium in municipal water, which forms the protective scale inside water pipes. According to a CBU press release, lead pipes fell out of use after 1986 due to amendments to the Federal Clean Water Act. However, Kelsen said CBU offers a lead and copper program as a resource for residents.
4: If, As always, if anyone has a question about whether they might have lead uh, in their home, you know, which would typically be from lead pipe within the home, uh, we do provide sampling and, and analysis for that. So if people have questions about that, uh, they can reach out to us through customer service. So.
3: The next meeting of the Utilities Service Board is scheduled for July 8th.
1: The Brown County Humane Society is raising money to construct a new animal shelter. Staff at the Humane Society say the facility's update is necessary for their continued success in the community. The Brown County Humane Society is already nearing the goal of its capital campaign to raise money for a new $3.2 million animal shelter. The Humane Society boasts a 98% save rate, one of the highest in the country, according to their website. Volunteer and Communications Manager Erica Emhoff says the current shelter building can't keep up with the Humane Society's progress.
6: We have been in our current shelter building for a little over 30 years now. And as the organization has grown and we've introduced a lot of new programs over the years, the building just isn't uh, adequate in size for what we need, and it's started to deteriorate uh, very quickly. So we're spending uh, a lot of our budget on just trying to maintain and repair things, and the building is is going a little faster than we can keep up with. (laughs) So it just makes more sense to build something new that will fit the needs that we have rather than continue to pour money
1: into something that doesn't really work for us anymore. The new $3.2 million space will feature more comfortable areas for shelter pets and room to house more animals than before according to floor plans on the Humane Society's fundraising website. Plans also feature more space for volunteers, an education center, and space for indoor storage. Hoff says these elements will help the brown county humane society continue to expand their efforts in the community
6: we have so many of our functions our staff our vehicles our supplies they're all kept outside of our current shelter building and so this is really going to allow us to bring everything under one roof at one time and and be able to do so much more for the community as well we'll have space to bring in volunteers and space to um, do events with the community at the shelter and work with kids, which we aren't able to do right now. So it's just going to give us the ability to do so much more than we're capable of doing now.
1: Emhoff says it's hard to say when the shelter will break ground on the new building, but she hopes it could happen as early as the end of this summer. The Brown County Humane Society is now in the public phase of its capital campaign to fundraise the money for a new shelter building. This means that when the shelter has raised $2.7 million already, it hopes the public will contribute to help them reach their goal of $3.2 million. To learn more or to make a donation, visit UnleashBC.com.
3: Brown County State Park partially reopened to the public this week. Facilities such as public restrooms, campgrounds, cabins, and park offices remain closed as sediment buildup in Ogle Lake continues to contaminate the park's water supply. The Indiana Department of Natural Resources says some hiking trails reopened Monday, but visitors are required to bring their own drinking water. Brown County State Park has been closed since June 17th due to heavy rainfall, which caused sediment to overwhelm the park's water purification system.
1: Annually, the national parks deal with 100 million pounds of waste. This amount of waste is expensive and difficult to manage. As the number of park visitors goes up, park managers are looking for ways to reduce waste. New research from Leave No Trace Center for Outdoor Ethics and Pennsylvania State University examines the drivers of the issue. To understand the issue better, the researchers examined Yosemite, Grand Teton, and Denali National Parks. They found that two factors affected whether people would responsibly dispose of trash. Moral norms and perceived difficulty both played key roles in whether people managed trash appropriately. Ben Lahan, lead researcher of the Outdoor Ethics Center, commented on the findings saying, quote, Many visitors are predisposed to be environmentally responsible and follow behaviors that benefit and protect national parks." Because of this, he recommends reinforcing that attitude with more communication and improving access and signage for waste disposal.
3: Oregon lawmakers are struggling over a cap-and-trade bill intended to reduce carbon and greenhouse gases. The bill would create one of the nation's most sweeping climate change policies with the goal of reducing greenhouse gas emissions in the transportation, manufacturing, and utility sectors. Opposition to a cap-and-trade solution centered around the impact of rising gasoline prices and how they will disproportionately affect the rural population. Following a debate, a sharply divided chamber voted to pass the House bill last Monday, June 17th. By the end of last week, 11 Republican senators had left the Capitol in Salem, Oregon, holding up the vote. The governor, Kate Brown, expressed her concern over the Senate's lack of quorum. Normal state operational businesses, like allocating money to fight forest fires, are being held up by the absent senators. The end of the Oregon State Senate session is this week. Governor Brown is already preparing for a special session in July.
1: A new report from the University of Chicago and published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences notes that monarch butterflies born in captivity have trouble migrating south. The butterflies raised by a commercial breeder had smaller and rounder top wings rather than the pointed tips of wild monarch wings when the captive bred butterflies were placed in a flight simulator the butterflies failed to orient south in their migratory direction the scientists concluded that monarchs bred in captivity over many generations as those bred for the butterfly education market were unlikely to successfully migrate wild monarchs spent summers in the u.s and southern canada In the fall, the butterfly population east of the Rockies flies about 3,000 miles south to Mexico for the winter. Monarchs living west of the Rockies winter in Southern California. The monarch population has decreased over 80% in the past 20 years. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is considering placing monarchs on the endangered species list. For WFHB, I'm Glenn Leitner.
3: And I'm Linda Leitner. Support for Eco Report comes from Blooming Foods Market in Delhi. Bloomington's locally grown co-op grocery since 1976, offering products with a focus on local, fair trade, natural and organic with support for farmers, producers, agencies and artisans. Blooming Foods Market in Delhi on East 3rd Street near College Mall, West 6th Street near the Courthouse Square and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus now it's time for get out and hike this is
5: get out and hike and i'm jan walker
2: i'm don carlton i've been going to cedar bluffs for about 40 years now cedar bluff it's a, a natural bluff above the clear creek and you can get there you find ketchum road and go until it crosses clear creek and there's a little uh, parking lot and you can walk along the creek and then climb the rocks to get up to the top and there are glorious views there it's a special place it was sheltered from the last ice age and so there are some plants there that can't be found anywhere else it's a, a marvelously biodiverse place despite the fact that there's so many humans traversing it and you can get up the top and you can see this glorious view of the clear creek valley and you know, the other parts of the cliffs There's a legend that this was the spot for the last Indian battle between whites and Indians in Monroe County, right before the Tippecanoe battle, but it's one of the favorite places to hike from people in Monroe County, and make sure you carry a a bag with you, because some of those people aren't so nice in terms of leaving trash around.
7: Don, about how long
5: is this trail?
2: Well, there's several ways you can go. You can go... uh, around by the creek, that takes maybe 15, 20 minutes to walk. And there's another way if you go on Cedar Bluff Road to the highest point there and then just walk straight back through the woods.
3: How difficult is this trail? Would it be suitable for kids or people that have a hard time walking up steep hills?
2: When you walk around along the creek, climbing the rocks could be difficult for people who have some disabilities, but kids certainly can do it. You want to be careful about the kids because there's some very steep, very long drops on the ridges. And, uh, you know, it's worth it to get onto the ridge. And, like, the first time I saw two eagles in Monroe County was I was sitting on the ledge, and these two eagles came within about 15 feet of me soaring by. And we've been going to Cedar Bluffs for about 40 years now. It was just
1: glorious. Environmental groups are concerned about logging in Yellowwood State Forest, particularly due to recent deluges across the area. As WFHB's Macy Evans reports, the Indiana Forest Alliance is petitioning Governor Holcomb's office to add protections to Yellowwood's backcountry area that would prohibit logging.
7: Yellowwood State Forest experienced selective commercial logging on 300 acres of land last year. The Division of Forestry first sold the land to logging companies in November of 2017. Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb's office received around 5,000 comments from the community against the logging. It proceeded as planned in January of last year. Indiana Forest Alliance Conservation Director Dr. Ray Schnapp says trees can help prevent soil erosion during times of increased runoff, like the deluges seen over the past few weeks.
5: Forest provide uh, really great protection for watersheds, and especially if there are steep slopes involved. The the tree canopy um, slows down the rain and minimizes the impact to the soil. And so soil erosion is greatly reduced by both the tree canopy and then also, of course, the layer of leaf litter and mulch that is out there. I mean, the leaf litter is sort of acting as a mulch layer and uh, absorbing a lot of water and preventing soil erosion, and then the roots, too, are holding uh, the soil in place. So when you remove that tree canopy and that tree cover, you can really increase erosion a lot.
7: This summer has seen frequent rain produce dangerous flooding across Indiana. Schnob says that the presence of trees can help reduce the threat of these floods
5: forests do help mitigate uh, flooding. The trees slow down the water so it's not getting to the streams as quickly. There's less likelihood of uh, flash flooding event when there is a uh, forested watershed and um, trees also suck up a lot of water from the ground so they um, release it into the atmosphere and uh, minimize flooding in that way too.
7: The Indiana Forest Alliance says logging in Yellowwood threatens local ecosystems that are unique to old-growth forests. Schnapp says the area chosen for this round of logging was supposed to be protected.
5: The Division of Forestry is routinely logging in our state forests, but in that case, they chose to log a tract that was designated as backcountry area. And those backcountry areas are meant to be enjoyed by people who like wilderness camping and and that wilderness experience. Uh, They're supposed to be um, left as undisturbed as possible, according to um, the documents that created the backcountry area designation in 1981. And so we um, particularly objected to the harvest in that backcountry area, and also it an area that we had been studying very intensively. And we had permits from the Division of Forestry to uh, conduct blitz surveys in that particular tract and uh, a few other tracts too. But so they logged one of the tracts that they had just recently permitted us to study. And so that was particularly concerning to us because we were documenting the rich biodiversity of that
7: area. The Indiana Forest Alliance has a new proposal to designate this forest as a high conservation value forest. Schnapp says this designation would protect the forest from further loss of trees and help it develop into an old growth forest.
5: The high conservation value forest is a a designation that the Division of Forestry created um, relatively recently and they have a process for nominating certain areas to be designated. And the high conservation value forest can be managed in different ways. So it doesn't necessarily mean no logging um, in those areas, but that is what we're proposing, that there would be minimal um, timber harvest in this high conservation value forest. And that the management would consist of controlling invasive species and trail maintenance And and then so this area would be managed for older growth so that it can become an old growth forest.
7: Governor Eric Holcomb has met with the Indiana Forest Alliance and says he will consider the proposal, according to the Alliance's website. Schnapp would like to remind listeners that public comments on the high conservation value forest proposal can be submitted to the governor's office. National meteorologists say this summer is expected to continue to see higher than average rainfall and storms. For WFHB, I'm Macy Evans.
3: Are you looking for a way to take action on environmental issues? EcoReport is seeking volunteer reporters to contribute short headline news stories as well as feature interviews. We provide all the technical training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. Give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now it's time for In Nature.
7: This is
0: In Nature. Polyphemus moths are named after the giant one eyed Cyclops in Greek mythology because of the huge eye spots and their six inch wide hind wings. The eye spot is exposed when the moth is startled, hopefully, frightening away predators. It is a Native American silk moth. It differs from domesticated silk moths that produce silk bred by the Chinese for about 5,000 years that are dependent on humans to breed. Our native polyphemous moths live in deciduous woods, and the larva eats the leaves of a variety of tree species, including beech, sassafras, walnut, oak, maple, and others. The larva can eat 86,000 times its weight when hatched in a little less than two months. Fully grown, it is three to four inches long, bright green caterpillar, with silver spots on its side. It spins a silk cocoon wrapped in the leaf of a host plant. There are usually two broods, one in early spring and one in late summer, which overwinters. To emerge from the cocoon, the pupa will spit a silk softening chemical that will dissolve a small portion of the cocoon. Once out, the moth must pump its wings with its bodily fluid in order to fully extend them. The adults do not have mouth parts, and so must mate and lay eggs within a week. The female will stay put and exude a male-attracting scent. The male's feathery antenna can pick up the female's scent from miles away. Once they have mated, the female will lay eggs on a suitable host plant. They are parasitized by certain species of wasp, and the pupa are eaten by birds and squirrels. Pruning trees may remove the cocoon, and leaving lights on at night attracts moths and distracts them from breeding.
7: You've been listening
0: to In Nature.
1: McCormick's Creek State Park will host a hike about owls on Saturday, June 29th from 9 to 10.30 p.m. Meet at the Canyon Inn for an exciting hike about owls and learn what makes them good predators. The hike will be on Trail 4, which is one mile long and has moderate terrain.
3: Laura Demarest will present a program on caves and karst at 6 p.m. on Tuesday, July 2nd. The presentation will be at Wilson Park Shelter House, located at 2211 Denson Avenue in Bedford. Learn about the fragility of car systems and life forms that live in the dark. Call 812-275-5692 to RSVP.
1: Learn how you can save the snot otter on Wednesday, July 3rd at Spring Mill State Park from 2 to 2.30 p.m. Meet Sarah at the Lakeview Activity Center Amphitheater where you will learn to identify this endangered salamander and how to protect it.
3: There will be an invasive control workday on Saturday, July 6th from 1 to 4 p.m. at Griffey Lake. Meet at the Griffey Lake Boathouse parking lot. Volunteers will partner with the City of Bloomington Parks and Recreation staff to control privet and Japanese stilt grass. Wear long pants, long sleeves, and closed-toed shoes. Be sure to bring a water bottle.
1: That wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at MPIsolarEnergy.com.
3: This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy, Linda Green, Sarah Vaughn, and Kaylin Huffman Brower. Today's feature was produced by Macy Evans. Get Out and Hike is produced by Jan Walker. Norm Holy produced In Nature. Julianne Daly compiled our events calendar.
1: Executive producer Wes Martin engineered today's show with help from WFHB's Patrick Callanan, Andrew Brown, Sarah Vaughan, and Kalen Huffman Brower edited the script.
3: Tune in on Thursdays at 1130 a.m. and Fridays at 5 p.m. for our weekly radio rundown of ecological news. You can also access news feature audio as well as in nature Get out and hike and secret life of fungi episodes anytime at WFHB.org. For WFHB, I'm Linda Leitner.
1: And I'm Glenn Leitner.
3: And this is Eco Report.
1: You've been listening to the Eco Report,
0: a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB
2: in Bloomington, Indiana
0: available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org.
2: Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source
0: for South Central Indiana,
1: bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear.
0: Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas
1: directly to the Eco Report staff.
0: The email address is
1: earth at
2: wfhb.org
0: That's earth at (laughs) wfhb.org